like to walk in this new life that has been made available to us through the resurrected Lord. And so I want to encourage you, um, if you're one that likes to read ahead a little bit, um, I'm giving you uh, insight into the fact that I will be in Romans 5 for about five weeks. And so uh, feel free if you want to, even as um, we're really just going to look at the first 10 verses uh, over the next five weeks, just one verse today. Uh, but really excited about um, what God has in store for us over the next few weeks. And then I will get back into uh, the Gospel of Mark. We're slowly working our way through Mark's Gospel. Uh, we'll be back there uh, in just about a month, a month and a half or so. Uh, but today we're going to be in Romans 5, looking at just one verse. It'll also be up on the screen. Romans 5, uh, verse number 1. Romans 5, verse number 1. Paul wrote these words, Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ, our Lord, has done for us. Let me read that just one more time because we're actually going to be in verse 1 today and next week. Um, and if you're wondering how in the world is he going to preach on one verse in two weeks, I'm a preacher, all right? I can do it. Uh, there's a lot of good wisdom here just in this one verse. But I want to read it one more time. Therefore, since we have been made right, or as some translations will say, and it'll be our focus for today, therefore, since we have been justified, been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God. That'll be our focus next week because of what Jesus Christ, our Lord, has done for us. Dear Heavenly Father, as we take the next few minutes together this morning to approach your living word, I thank you that your word is alive, it is powerful. I thank you that your word has the power and the ability to change and transform our hearts and our lives. And I pray this morning that in these next few minutes together, Holy Spirit, that you would convict our hearts, that you would challenge us, that you would take us deeper, give us minds to understand, give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts to begin to comprehend this word that you have laid upon my heart this morning. And I pray that across this room today, that this word would change and transform the trajectory of every life in this room. Holy Spirit, I believe that you have a word for every single person in this room today. And so I pray that we would make ourselves available, make ourselves open to that word today. Speak to us, challenge us, I pray. Holy Spirit, help me to speak not a single word of my own, but only that which comes from you. And God, help me to speak your word with boldness, with clarity, with simplicity, and help me to decrease and help you, God, to increase and be the focus of our time together, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. How many of you remember, for those of you, those of you that have this already, how many of you, have rem you remember the day that you received your driver's license. Anybody remember that day? For some of you, that was a very special day. Um, some of you in this room might even have kids that just recently received uh, their driver's license, and that was a special day for a different reason. <laughs> Um, and some of you, I know you pretty well, and if I see that you are getting your license pretty soon, um, just warn me, okay? I want to make sure that I'm far enough away from you. Um, I remember um, when I was a kid, when I turned 16, I had taken you know, driver's ed and 
taken the, the written test and been out on my drives. I had to parallel park, and believe it or not, it's probably the only time that I parallel parked since <laughs> was in driver's ed. I was sharing with somebody recently, if there's ever an opportunity uh, for me to avoid, par- I, will, I will just keep driving down the road. I will walk five miles before I parallel park, all right? And, and anybody else the same way? There's a few of you. Um, I avoid it at all costs, all right? It's embarrassing. Um, and if there's any traffic at all, it just stresses me to pieces, all right? Uh, I do not like to parallel park. And I don't like to back up either because if I go into a parking lot and I, I'll, I'll park way far away from the front door of a grocery store just so I can pull through when I leave so I don't have to back up. So... Um, that has nothing to do with anything, just a little insight. Uh, for those of you that are tired, hopefully um, I'll keep you awake here for a few minutes this morning. But, but I remember um, several years ago uh, when I received uh, my driver's license at the age of 16, it was a big, there was a big buildup to that moment. You know, I'd taken the test, I'd been a part of driver's ed, and, and it was a very special moment. And I know for me, and maybe this was the case for you, Um, Leading up to that day, leading up to that particular moment, my guess is you were probably starting to think about, I mean, as the joy and as the buildup began, you were probably thinking about, okay, where am I going to drive to first? You know, what what restaurant am I going to hit up? What drive-through am I going to go through? Who am I going to go pick up? Um, though I think you have to wait like three months, maybe it's longer now before, you know, somebody can drive with you if they don't have a license. But, but I remember for me, it was this big, big, big build up moment as I thought about who am I going to pick up or I don't have to ride the bus to school anymore. I can drive my own vehicle, um, and and park and leave when I want to leave. And, and so there was this excitement, this joy that filled my heart as I thought about that moment, thought about the difference that having a license, a driver's license, would make in my life. And certainly, from a different perspective, as parents, we probably have thought about the difference a driver's license will make in your kid's life and your life as well. But there's this exciting buildup that happens around that moment. One author wrote these words. He said, when something joyous occurs a promotion or an incredible gift or a driver's license is received, the first thing we often do is we think of the difference that it will make in our lives. We think about that driver's license. We think about that promotion. We think about that gift. And all of a sudden, the the joy that fills our hearts, we start thinking about how that thing, that gift, that promotion, that driver's license, how it will make a difference in our lives. We are on the heels of celebrating the greatest day in history, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and I would argue the most joyful of all events. The resurrection of Jesus, as we talked about last week, it opened the door for new beginnings. It opens the door for a fresh start, for for new life that I think all of us in this room are excited about. 
We talked last week on Easter Sunday, the prime example of how the resurrection really changes the trajectory of our life and how it opens the door for new beginnings. We looked at the, per, the, the life of Peter. Peter, the, the disciple who stuck his foot in his mouth every single time that said things before he actually thought about what he was saying. The guy that, that was very bold, very confident, said, no, I would never deny you, Jesus. But then just a few days later, he denied even knowing Jesus and spending any time with him. We saw that for Peter, what looked like an end when Jesus died on that cross because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, Peter had an opportunity for a new beginning, a restored life, a fresh start. And we talked about in John chapter 21, when Jesus started appearing to the disciples, one of the appearances that he made was to Peter and to several other disciples as well. But when they were enjoying breakfast together, after they got done fishing, he pulled Peter aside and he looked at Peter and said, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. Then feed my sheep three times. Peter was restored. Three times he denied even knowing Jesus, but three times Jesus asked Peter if he loved him. Resurrection, it opened the door for new beginnings, and it does the same for you and for me and for all of us. The resurrection is a reminder to us that there is the opportunity for a fresh start, for restored relationship with Jesus Christ. This new life that we looked at last week in the resurrection of Jesus that we're going to examine now over the next few weeks, this new life that was available because of what Jesus did on the cross and because of the empty tomb. This new life excited Paul. You can see it. If you read through Paul's letters in the New Testament, you will see that Paul was was excited, joyful to talk about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I mean, I would tell you that if you were an unbeliever and you hung out with Paul at any point in time, you would probably get annoyed with him because all he desired to talk about, and even said in in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 2, he said, I desire to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And so for Paul, the resurrection, what Christ did at the cross that was key, that was central, that's what excited him, and you hear it even in his letters. Here in Romans chapter 5, Paul is writing predominantly to Roman Christians. They were newer converts to Christianity, and he's excited because their justification and his, and we're going to talk about justification this morning, but he's excited because their justification and his offered up an incredible new benefit package. These benefits we're going to see are explored in Romans chapter 5. Next week, we're going to look at, at because of this new life, we can have peace with God. Because of this new life that's been made available through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, you and I, we have access, immediate access into his presence. Because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, you and I, one day, we have now the hope of sharing in the future glory with Jesus Christ. What an incredible benefit package that the resurrection of Jesus Christ offers you, offers me, and offers all of humanity. And it's these benefits that really stirred up in Paul in excitement. We hear it in these words. Let me read the text again, Romans 5. And I want you to, as I read this, I want you to hear it now, thinking about the excitement that Paul has as he pens these words, knowing that as a resurrected Christ, as he lives and as he has ascended, he's able to write these words. Therefore, since we have been justified 
by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul will go on, but he is excited that, that because of the justification that has been made available to him and to us, we can have peace with him. He'll go on to talk about the access and the, the hope of future glory and all of these benefits that are made available to all of us if we place our faith in Jesus Christ. Martin Luther, when he describes Paul, as Paul writes these words, he says this about the apostle Paul. He says, the apostle speaks as one who is extremely happy and full of joy. We should be, right? When we're talking about the benefits that are made available to us because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that should stir in us excitement and joy. Another individual said this about Paul. says, it is now the believer who is speaking here in Romans chapter five. In fact, we might almost say singing because of the joy that Paul pins these words. These benefits of justification, our new life in Christ, they're gonna be the focal point of our next few weeks together. But before we really explore the benefits, peace with God and access into his presence, the hope of future glory, I wanna spend just a few minutes this morning unpacking this word justification. And, and I know when you first hear that, you're thinking, all right, I'm gonna take a nap now. I'm gonna tune out. I don't want you to tune out this morning because this is very, very important, very vital. And I hope as I unpack this, and, and believe it or not, I just have one point today, one point. So when you see that first point go up, don't get concerned if I'm still on point one, you know, a few minutes later, all right? There's just one point this morning. But I want to talk about what justification is and why it is so vital, why it is so vital to our Christian faith, to our walk, and why we need to understand what it is and how we are justified as believers. And so I'm going to walk us through that this morning, and I hope it will make sense and, and be very simple for us to grasp. And at the very end, I'm going to hopefully illustrate this for you to make it clear this morning. But I want to talk about justification. Justification is... It is the precursor to these blessed benefits of our new life in Jesus Christ. We can't talk about peace with God. We can't talk about access into his presence. We can't talk about the hope of sharing in future glories unless we talk about justification. Because apart from that, all of those other benefits are no longer available to you and me. Justification, it's the starting point. It's the precursor before we even get to these blessed benefits. So that's where I wanna start this morning. So let me just simply ask this question and I, I, I'm gonna enter into a little bit more teaching mode this morning, but I want you to work with me. What is justification? What is justification? Because I, I can, if you want to, you can take that word and just start throwing it out there to people and you might sound intelligent, but if somebody asks you, what does that even mean? What is justification? What are you talking about? I want you to be able to have somewhat of a response to them this morning. So I want to explain to you in three different ways what justification is. Number one, it is the necessary work of God, not man. I want you to hear that again this morning. It is the necessary work of God, not man. Let me give you a few examples. Um, Wayne Grudem um, said this in regards to, this is his definition of justification. He said, it is an instantaneous legal act of God 
in which he, God, thinks of our sins as forgiven and Christ's righteousness as belonging to us and declares us to be righteous in his sight. Notice just in that definition that justification has nothing to do with my work or anything I do. We'll talk about our part here in just a minute, but it has everything to do with what God does. It's an instantaneous legal act of who God, in which he, God, thinks of our sins as being forgiven and Christ's righteousness as belonging to us. And God is the one not your neighbor, not a pastor, not somebody that you know. It is God who declares us to be righteous in his sight. Now, let me simplify it even a little bit more. John Wesley, this is John Wesley's definition of justification. And some of you are like, I can get behind this one, <laughs> all right? Four, four, uh, five, five words in this definition. I can remember that, all right? And this is John Wesley's definition very simply. It is what God does for us. It's what God does for us. I believe John Wesley's definition, definition or one of them of sanctification, we're not gonna talk about it today, but I think his definition of sanctification is what God does in us, all right? And, and so I want you to see there is a distinction here. Justification is what God does for us. Keep in mind, the necessary work of who? God, not man. Now, let me simplify it even a little bit more. Maybe some of you have heard this definition, and I think probably the easiest way for us to grasp what justification is, uh, to really um, peel, the, peel back the layers here, this is a definition that maybe you've heard before, justification, just as if I'd never sinned. All right, just as if I'd never sinned. That's what justification, when you peel back all the layers at its core, when we talk about justification, it's just as if I had never sinned. That's what justification is. That's what it implies. So it is the necessary work of God, not a work of man. Now, let me go a little bit further this morning. What else is justification? Number two, it is a change in our legal status before God from being guilty to not guilty. Can I get an amen on that one? It is a change, yes, yes. It is a change in our legal status before God. When we come before him, when we are justified, it is a change in our legal status from being declared guilty in a court of law to being not guilty. Now, let me unpack that just a little bit this morning. I think if we, if we go to scripture, we will see it. it's very clear. And, and, and Paul really paints this picture in the first four chapters of Romans. Um, I, didn't, I don't wanna sit here and read all four chapters to you this morning, but you will see he builds the case. That's why when he gets to chapter five, verse one, he says, therefore, therefore, because of what I just said in these first four chapters, therefore, you can have peace with God because you've been justified through faith. And so let's talk about this change in our legal status from guilty to not guilty. Paul talks about in Romans chapter three. If you have your Bibles, it won't be up on the screen, but I wanna read this to you. I want you to see this and I want you to hear it this morning. Romans chapter three, Paul really paints this, I don't know if I would say beautiful, but he paints this perfect picture that there is no person who is righteous, not even one. 
Look at Romans chapter three. If you don't have your Bibles, just listen. Verse 10, Paul writes these words, as the scriptures say, no one is righteous, not even one. No one is truly wise. No one is seeking God. All have turned away. All have become useless. No one does good, not a single one. Their talk is foul like the stench from an open grave. Their tongues are filled with lies. Snake venom drips from their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. They rush to commit murder, destruction, and misery. Always follow them. They don't know where to find peace. They have no fear of God at all. Obviously, the law applies to those whom it was given for its purpose is to keep people from having excuses and to show that the entire world is guilty before God. For no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. But Paul begins there in verse 10, and he says, there is no one righteous, no, not one. He'll go on, I didn't read it, but verse 23, very clear, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Of God. So, so here's what we know so far in regards to our status. We are not righteous. We are all sinners. And every single one of us, every single human being deserves a guilty verdict because we are sinners and because we are unrighteous. Yet, the unrighteous, guilty sinner who has faith in Jesus, that is key, alone will be justified. What does that mean? They will be declared not guilty. That means our past sins are forgiven. Look at Romans 3, verse 26. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he, God, might be just, fair, and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. I want you to grasp this this morning. God had every right. I want you to hear this. God had every right to condemn the unrighteous, guilty sinner. He had that right. He is the perfect, holy God who is unable to dwell with imperfect, unrighteous, guilty sinners, which is why he sent his son, Jesus Christ, so that relationship could be restored. But he had every right to condemn us but he chose a different path. He didn't choose to condemn. Instead, he died. He was raised to life, and now he sits at the right hand of the Father interceding for guilty, unrighteous sinners. Paul says, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Folks, if God chose not to condemn the unrighteous, guilty sinner, but instead to die for him or her, then who are we to condemn others? If the holy, perfect God, who had every right to condemn us because we are guilty, unrighteous sinners. If he chose not to condemn, but instead to die and to be raised to life and and is now praying and interceding for all of us, who are we to condemn others? Food for thought this morning. Justification. It's the work of God, not man. It's a change in our legal status from being declared guilty to not guilty. Number three, it is God 
Justification is God declaring to those who have faith in Jesus that we have no penalty to pay for past, present, or future sins. What, what do I mean by that? Romans 6.23, then reading on in Romans, Paul will say the wages of sin is what is death. Goes on to say, but the gift of God is eternal life. We just came out of Holy Week. We just came out of the, the Passion Week where Christ went to the cross, where he died. And on that cross, if you remember his final words upon that cross, he declared what? He said, it is finished. And what that really means when you pick that apart, that phrase apart, what Jesus was saying on the cross is it has been paid for in full. The penalty, the debt that we owe as sinners, guilty, unrighteous sinners, it has been paid for in full by Jesus Christ on the cross. Therefore, justification, when we place our faith in Jesus Christ, what God is declaring over us if we have faith in him, is that we have no penalty to pay for our past, present, or future sins because it has already been paid for in the atoning death of Jesus Christ. Our sins have been forgiven. Folks, that is cause for rejoicing. That is why we are resurrection people. The tomb is empty. That's why we can gather every Sunday morning and rejoice and sing uh, at the top of our lungs and declare God's goodness and his faithfulness because we have been justified. When we place our faith in Jesus Christ, we have been made right with him. We have something to celebrate. We have something to rejoice in because at the core, we are unrighteous, guilty sinners. But because he has paid the penalty for our sin, we can stand before him and we can be declared righteous because of what he has done. So justification, what is it? Justification is God's work, not man. Justification is a legal status, a change in our legal status from being declared guilty to not guilty. And it is God declaring over those who have faith in Jesus that we have no penalty to pay because it has been paid for in full by Jesus. So now that we know what justification is, just as if I'd never sinned, how are you and I justified? How are we made right with him? How do we go from guilty to not guilty without doing anything? I want you to see and really ask this question, how does an unrighteous, guilty sinner all of a sudden receive a not guilty verdict in a court of law? I mean, if we were to be in a, in a courtroom today and, and it's very clear that the person up on the stand is a guilty, unrighteous sinner and all of a sudden uh, the verdict that's given is not guilty, most of us would have jaws that would drop. How in the world does somebody who is clearly guilty go from guilty to not guilty without doing anything, without paying a penalty? Well, this is how we are justified very simply by God's grace by his grace, his unmerited, undeserved favor through faith in Jesus Christ. So we are justified. We are declared not guilty, not by anything that you do or we do. We are declared not guilty by God's incredible grace. And through our faith, through our belief, through our surrendering to what Christ has done, it's not by our works. It's not by our good deeds. 
or anything that we do. And, and this, this is important because I, I know that there is this, this mentality sometimes, uh, especially among church people, where we, we get this sense that, you know what, if, if I can be in church three out of four Sundays a week, if I put money in the tithe bag when it passes by, or I give online, or if I serve you know, two out of four Sundays a week, there is this mentality that if we do enough good, if I'm a good enough person, if I attend church enough times, that, that somehow that will then equal my justification. Somehow that makes me right with God. And the reality is we go back to what Paul says in Romans 3, there is no one who is righteous, not even one. We are all guilty, unrighteous sinners. And so when we stand before God on our own, in our own works or through our own deeds, that is what God will see if we stand on our own. And so we aren't justified, we aren't made right with God through what we do. And, and, and let me sidebar, that doesn't mean we stop attending church or stop giving. That's not what I'm preaching about this morning. Um, and, and if none of you show up next week, then I, I really botched it. But, but um, what I'm saying this morning, it, that should all be a byproduct People who have been justified, people who have been made right with God, people who, who recognize the value and the significance of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we should be excited to come and worship. We should be excited to give. We should be excited to serve because we serve a God who is alive. We've been made right because we know that apart from Jesus Christ, I am still dead in my sins and I am on my way to a relationship apart from God in eternity. And so that's why we should be excited. Justified people should be excited, justified people should say, man, I, I want to be here. I want to worship with my brothers and sisters in Christ because I know, I know what, I, what God has done for me and I didn't do it in my own terms. We are not justified. We're not saved by our works, our good deeds or anything that we do. We bring nothing to the table except faith in what Christ has accomplished. The one thing that we bring to the table when it comes to our justification is just simply belief, faith, faith in what Jesus Christ did on the cross. Paul later in Romans will simply say, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, that means that he is your master, that you surrendered your life to him and you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, then you will be saved. We don't justify ourselves. God does the justifying work. But what part do we play? We play, uh, the part that we play is we bring faith to the table. We believe in what Christ has accomplished. Paul says in Ephesians, for by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. What Paul's saying there is if it has to do with works, then all of a sudden we create this competitive um, attitude and we can start boasting, man, I attend church four times out of four Sundays and this person over here two times, or man, I put more in the offering bag than they did, or I serve every single week, they only serve once a month. All of a sudden, it becomes less about what God has done and more about what we're doing, and that's not, that's not what God desires. Justification is God's work. We're justified by grace, his unmerited favor through faith in Jesus Christ. I, I think the, 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 I'm going to put up here, Thomas Cranmer really captures it, and this is a mouthful, but, but I love what he has to say in regards to justification. Listen to this or read it with me. This is his understanding. To express my meaning a little more at large, I believe three things must go together in our justification. Number one, upon God's part, 
his great mercy and grace. But on Christ's part, number two, the satisfaction of God's justice by the offering of his body and shedding his blood. And number three, upon our part, true and living faith in the merits or the works of Jesus Christ. Where are we putting our faith and our confidence? Not in how many times I come to church or how much money I give or how good of a person I am. I'm putting my faith in the works, the perfect works and righteousness of Jesus Christ. And when we do that, we are then justified. Number four, faith in the works of Jesus. How are we justified? Faith in the works of Jesus makes it possible for God to impute or to ascribe the righteousness of Christ to us. Let me, let me explain this. Uh, imputing is not a word. Anyone use that in your regular vocab? <laughs> I didn't think so. Me neither. Um, unless I'm preaching about it on Sunday morning. But let me, ex- let me explain what, what it means. When we have faith in the works of Jesus, at that moment when we're justified, he imputes, he puts into our account, he ascribes to us the righteousness of Jesus Christ. So what does that mean? It means that God thinks of or he regards Christ's perfect righteousness as belonging to us. When we, are, when we have faith in what Jesus Christ did on the cross, then at that moment that we are justified, he puts into our account, he ascribes to us, or, or he thinks of us as having Christ's perfect righteousness as it belonging to us. 2 Corinthians 5, 21, he who knew no sin, he became sin for you, for me, and for all of humanity so that we might become the righteousness of God. How? Through or in Christ Jesus. So when he imputes it into our account, he ascribes the righteousness of Christ to us and simply means that God puts the righteousness of Christ into your account and my account when faith is present. It's an accounting term that is used there. He describes it in Romans 4, Paul does. He says, for what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Um, and I ended 15 minutes early last week, so I've got 15 minutes extra today. I'm just kidding. I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> um, I, I, like I said, only one point, but, and I'm getting close to the end here, but I want you to grasp this. What, what did Abraham, Abraham was obviously before Christ. So what was Abraham believing? It says, when Abraham believed God, it was put into Abraham's account, righteousness, what is, what, is, what is Paul talking about? What occurred? Obviously, God came to Abraham and said, I'm gonna, I promise you a son. Um, that son, we know when we read scripture, this promised son was Isaac, but there was much more than just the promise of Isaac. There's the promise of a seed that would lead to Jesus Christ who would die on a cross and be raised three days later. And so Abraham, Abraham believed in God's promise for a, a, a natural son at that moment. But there was belief beyond just the son in Isaac. I mean, he talked about um, that he would be the father of many nations and, and, and that there would be many sons that would come from him. So, so Abraham believed in God's promise and he was looking ahead, though he didn't see it and he w- it would not happen in his lifetime. He was looking ahead to the promised seed capital S, the promised child being Jesus Christ. And because he believed in that promise, because he believed in that son, it was put into Abraham's account, righteousness. Now we do the very same thing, except we're not looking ahead, we're looking back. 
When we talk about having faith in Jesus Christ, we're looking back to the cross. Abraham was looking forward. Now we look back, and when we have faith in Jesus Christ, when we look back to the cross, at that moment we are justified, and then righteousness is put into our accounts. I want you to notice that justification, again, and I've stressed this point over and over again, justification has everything to do with the work and righteousness of Jesus Christ and nothing to do with my works or my righteousness. That is key. Folks, it has everything to do with the works and the righteousness of Jesus Christ, and I'm thankful for that. It has nothing to do with my works or my righteousness. John Goodwin says, God justifies the believer for the sake of Christ's righteousness and not for any righteousness of his own. Martin Luther said it very simply, sola fide, which just simply means faith alone. We're not saved by works. We're not justified by works. We're we're justified. We're made right through faith alone. So then what are the implications? We know what justification is, just as if I'd never sinned. It's God's work, not man's. It's a change in our legal status. It's God declaring to you and to me that our sins have been forgiven. We know how we're justified through God's grace, his undeserved, merited favor through faith in what he accomplished. And when we have faith in Jesus, he puts into our account the righteousness of Jesus Christ. So what are the immediate implications, and I'm almost done, of our justification? Number one, it offers genuine hope to the unrighteous, guilty sinner. It's all of us before Christ who can never make themselves right before God. Martin Luther is a perfect example. He was one who really, really struggled. He struggled with guilt and, and, and he, I mean, he went to really great depths to try to make himself right with God on his own terms. It was very freeing to him when he realized that justification had nothing to do with his works. It had everything to do with what Christ had already accomplished. And so if there's anything this morning for the unrighteous guilty sinner, which is every person before we, we um, have our faith in Jesus Christ, for the unrighteous guilty sinner, justification offers us genuine hope that I, I, I don't have to. I, I want to strive to be like Christ. I want to strive to be perfect, but, but I'm not made right with God when, when I am perfect. God will justify me. And then the sanctification, whole other thing, that, that, that is a process of becoming then of what God has already declared us to be. But we are justified. We're made right with God, not based on our own terms or our own works. It has everything to do with what he did. Number two, what are the implications? It gives us confidence that God will never make us pay the penalty for sins that have been forgiven through Christ's work on the cross. It should give us confidence this morning. The penalty's been paid for. Jesus declared it is finished. It is paid for in full. You don't have to go to the cross. I don't have to go to the cross. He's already paid the penalty for our sins. That should give us confidence this morning. Uh, and, And if you're here today and you've been justified and you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, but you're wondering, you know, maybe you've slipped away from that. Let me remind you, though that penalty has already been paid for. It's been paid for by Christ on the cross when we have faith. In him, there's still consequences. 
for our sins. That doesn't give us, and Paul talks about that as well, that doesn't give us the liberty to go and do whatever we want to do. If we're justified believers, if we've placed our faith in Jesus Christ, we should desire to become more and more like him. That doesn't give us this free ticket. All right, I've been justified. Now I can go live in the world however I want to live. That's not what scripture teaches. We have been set free, but set free to serve him and to become more and more like him. Number three, what are the implications? It gives us assurance because of God's incredible grace and through faith in his free gift that we can confidently stand as righteous before God. Assurance that because of his grace and through our faith in his free gift that I can stand before God, that I've been declared not guilty because the righteousness of Jesus Christ has been imputed, put into my account. Here's what I want you to see this morning. If I try, if you try, if any human being tries to stand before God on their own merits, through their own works, whether it's perfect attendance at church or tithing regularly, doesn't matter what it is. If we try to stand before God on our own terms or in our own good works, I, you, and every other person is guaranteed a guilty verdict. But if I choose to stand before God in Christ, then my unrighteous, guilty self will be declared right with God, not guilty. Let me, um, let me just really, in closing, let me try to, to illustrate um, this for you. Nathan, do you mind coming up here? I won't make you do any, well, I'm going to make you do something, but I won't make you talk or um, say anything, but I just want you to come up here for a minute. Some of you, I, I think I explained this or illustrated, just stand right here in the middle for me and just face them. I'm just going to have you stand there and look at everybody for a minute. All right. You don't mind, right? If you do, you can go sit down, but I'm just kidding. Um, I'm going to have someone else up with you here in just a minute. I, a few years ago, um, early on, I think after we launched, I, I illustrated this, and I want you to see what this looks like. Um, let me try to put it in terms that maybe we can grasp this morning, talking about justification. If justification meant, um, uh, or, or if, if uh, perfection meant that I had to be 10 feet tall, Anybody in this room? I don't, you're not even 10. How tall are you? With boots on, I'm Okay, with boots on, he's five, ten and a half. But, but you will see that if, if perfection, if the righteous requirement of the law is perfection and that perfection is 10 feet tall, Nathan is falling quite a bit short uh, of that perfection, as all of us in this room would. Now, some of us, a little bit, you know, Shannon back here, Shannon would be a little bit closer um, sorry, Phyllis, you'd be a little bit further away, all right? Some of us are, are closer to God, closer to perfection, and some of us are a bit further away. If, if that's how it worked, if perfection meant we had to be 10 feet tall, let me go back to what Paul says in Romans 3, we all fall short of the glory of God. There's nobody that I know of um, that's 10 feet tall. If there is, I'll say 20 feet, doesn't matter. Um, but if, if perfection is 10 feet tall, we all fall short of that this morning. All right, now, Addy, do you wanna come up here? Um, I'm not really giving you a chance to say yes or no. I'm just asking you to come up here. All right. 
What we do know is for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. So Nathan falls short of that perfection. We all fall short. Addy, you're, looks like you're a little bit further away, but I want you to come stand. I want you to come stand up here, all right? And here's, here's what I want you to see this morning. There is one. There is one who is perfect, Jesus Christ. And if the righteous requirement of the law was 10 feet tall, there's one who met that standard, Jesus. Jesus is perfect. He fulfilled every aspect of the law, and he was without sin. And so here's what I want you to see. So, Addy, I'm, I'm, you're still probably not 10 feet tall on those steps, but we're going to pretend that you're 10 feet tall. And so here is Addy, and she's 10 feet tall. She's representing Jesus, all right? Don't get a big head, <laughs> all right? You're representing Jesus this morning. And here's what I want you to see. So, Nathan, Nathan, come stand over here just for a second. Nathan, over here, if Nathan stands before God on his own, through his own good works, through his own merits, he still is going to fall short. He's almost six feet tall, and he's closer than others. But if he goes and he stands before God on his own, he's falling short. He's not going to meet the righteous requirement of the law, which is perfection. There's one that has already met that requirement, Jesus. Paid the penalty in full for our sins. And if Nathan decides to, I want you to step back over here. If Nathan decides, you know what, I'm going to place my faith and trust in Jesus. I'm going to step in to him. Then when God looks at Nathan, even though Nathan falls short, even though Nathan falls short of the 10-foot requirement of the law, what does God see? He sees his son, Jesus, who has met the righteous requirement of the law. So you guys can go be seated. Thank you. But I, I want you to see this morning, the moment, if, if I'm over here on my own, if I say, you know what, I'm going to try to do this on my own terms, and I'm a pretty good person, I've only missed two Sundays a year, and I tithe beyond the 10%, you know, I tithe 12 15%, and I serve every single week, and you know, I, I put on a good face in the community, I'm going to try to stand before God on my own, it doesn't matter how good I am, it doesn't matter if I'm nine feet uh, tall, um, nine and a half feet tall, it does not matter, I'm still going to fall short of God's expectation. When he sees me, he's going to see me and me alone And he's going to look at me and say, sorry, you are guilty. But if I step into Christ, if I place my faith and trust in him, Jesus Christ, the perfect sinless one who paid the penalty for your sins in mine, it doesn't matter if I'm one foot tall, if I'm six foot tall, if I'm eight foot tall, it doesn't matter where I am because when God looks at me, he's going to see his son. Jesus Christ. Folks, that's what justification is. It, it, it's, it's not about, we'll, and we'll talk later some other point, we'll talk about the sanctification and the becoming more and more like him, but justification has to do with God's work alone. The only thing we bring to the table is faith in what he has done. And when I step into him, he doesn't see me and my imperfect, unrighteous, guilty self. He sees his perfect, sinless son who paid the sacrifice, the penalty for your sins, my sins, and the sins of all of humanity. I am thankful 
thankful for what Christ has done. And I do not want to go before God. I don't care how good of a person I am. I do not want to stand before the perfect judge on my own terms. I'm stepping into Christ so that no matter where I fall in that spectrum, God sees his son and not me in my imperfect ways. Because if I were to ask all of you in this room right now, myself included, I don't think there's a perfect person in this room. Some of you might be more perfect than the person next to you. And maybe you're thinking that about your spouse right now. Like, yeah, I'm a little bit better than them. Uh, Don't have to tell me, don't have to say. But the reality is every single one of us in this room, we all fall short. But when we step into him, we receive the free gift that's been made available through his unmerited favor, his grace. And through faith, we place our trust in Jesus. We are no longer guilty. We will be declared not guilty. Folks, before the blessed benefits of our new life in Christ can be experienced, before we can experience peace with God, which we'll talk about next week, before we can have access into his presence, before we can have that hope of sharing the future glory with him, we have to make sure that we're justified. We have to make certain that we are made right with him. We don't do it through our good works. We do it by simply believing, having faith in what Christ has done. Would you stand with me?